Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on the silver screen. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. I'm your host Scott Wiley and you're listening to the Action Addicts Podcast. It is a brisk, cold day here in uh, good old sunny England. Winter is definitely moving in and uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a weird couple weeks. For regular listeners, you will know that the show has been a bit of a hiatus due to the fact that my laptop died and we came back strong. And then life got weird. We didn't have an episode on Monday because the actor that played Tommy Oliver from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, uh, I'd say through to a specific show, but he kept coming back. His official last appearance is in Power Rangers Super Ninja Steel. He was on and off that show for a very, very long time. And that was Jason David Frank. And as someone that watched that show a lot as a kid and kind of for various different reasons stayed with that show for a very long time, that kind of hit me a lot harder than maybe I thought it was going to. Not helped by the fact that it came less than a week, I think, after we lost Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman on the animated series and a bunch of other things and both of them were pretty much instruments of my childhood, and uh, I guess you never really prepare for something like that. You know it's going to happen, but it definitely wasn't expecting it to happen yet. Uh, So we decided not to have an episode on Monday because it was still raw. I certainly didn't feel like editing anything, and, you know, I didn't want to come on here and be fake happy when someone just passed away and i mean the reception online was massive but um i don't want to talk about it too much because i've kind of decided that i'm gonna do a bonus tribute episode where i'm gonna put a lot of my thoughts out and we're gonna talk about his work his life uh some films that i'm gonna go out on a limb and say maybe you've not heard of uh maybe even share some stories of things that i don't think are widely known and uh originally i was going to do it myself but i think one of my friends is going to join me who is pretty much in the same boat so i think that will be good for the both of us to kind of get it out there so this episode is going to be one of my backlog episodes that i recorded well quite a while ago uh it was before october other than that i genuinely couldn't narrow it down and we have the Action for Everybody host Liam O'Donnell, but this is slightly different because on top of that, he is also a genuine film director. He's also a special effects guy. That's how he got his start. And we had a genuine blast talking. And if there's one thing I've realized listening back to this, it's that uh, we had a little bit too good of a time talking. (laughs) And I'm sorry, 
but if you don't like off-topic talks, this episode may annoy you. Uh, Liam and I might need to, like, put a timer if we, you know, do another episode of the future so that I can keep better track of how off we go. But it's all stuff that was related to the industry. It's all stuff that was about the state of films and filmmaking and how you do X and Y and why things are important. And some of the stuff aged a little bit too well. You know, he was giving me uh, uh, some really interesting topics to think about, such as the budgets and what they mean internationally and how it can relate to some of the stuff that he did. But he was also, we ended up talking about, we ended up talking about the MCU and superhero films a lot, which will make sense when you get there, especially in the context of the raid. But the funniest thing was when he was talking about, I, you know, when people talk about what Tarantino or somebody famous thinks about the state of superhero films, and it's like the reaction that gets. Um, but this was recorded like three months ago. But at the time of this going out, that entire conversation is still relevant, and we could have had the conversation this week. It's ridiculously frustrating that this keeps happening, and I don't know how and when we're going to get out of this cycle of just famous people give their opinion on, like, something and famous people don't agree and they then you know get their name in the news cycle for a bit and all the fans uh you know go to war with each other because somebody got asked what do they think of a film they gave an answer and then their answer was taken out of context and you know run with but it is what it is it is life i suppose either way liam was very uh generous with his time and he was great to talk to Buddy is a working man. He, uh, as we now know, is off to make uh, his next Skyline film, which uh, I'm reliably informed he's going to be spending a lot of time in England. So, you know, maybe we'll meet up with him. Who knows what the future holds? Either way, though, I want to give a big thanks to Liam for making the time and getting up slightly earlier than he's probably used to due to our time difference. And the fact that he had a meeting scheduled pretty close to when we were going to record so yeah it's perhaps not our most in-depth episode that it could be but honestly Liam was such a joy to talk to and it was so interesting uh hearing his perspective on things that I would happily have him back anytime and we'll try to make it so that either we don't quite go into the weeds as much or I'll make sure that we have some more time either way though I hope you enjoy this conversation this marks the second host of Action for Everybody that we've managed to wrangle onto the show, and that means that the only person left is Vice. Stay tuned for the outro for more on that, but otherwise, here you go, guys. We are going to be talking about the raid, or the raid redemption, depending on where you are. And I am joined by a very special guest today. I am joined by Mr. Liam O'Donnell, who you might hear on the Action for Everyone podcast, or you might recognize the name because you've actually watched the films he's made. Because, yes, this person actually works in the industry. Hi, Liam. How are you doing? How are you doing, Scott? Yeah, I, I used to be a film director, and now I'm just a full-time podcaster. Um, no, I, <laughs> I, I hope to continue both careers, um, but... Uh, yeah, I've been been having a lot of fun uh, with with the boys, uh, Mike and Vice, on action for everyone. Usually every Sunday. 
Yes, and uh, everyone will be familiar with Mike. He was the first guest that I had on this podcast. He's been back many times. One day we will reel Vice in as well. We keep getting really close, and then it just doesn't happen for whatever reason. But enough about Vice. He's for another day. He's an elusive figure. He is. He is. (laughs) Hard to get your arms around, but once you do, oh, it's warm. It's warm and nice. Uh, I like the fact that you're saying that about Vice when in reality you just uh, recently met up with Brandon, another uh, guest of the show. That's right. That's right. And, and Vice is very jealous about uh, because I did we didn't tell anybody. And then um, and, he, and you know, we, Brandon and I have uh, we've always had a, a really good relationship online, but we'll do public sparring. So people think that we're fighting. Um, but we you know, we really uh, connected over uh, WWE wrestling. And so, uh, yeah, we're, we're having a having a great dinner in uh, Playa del Rey uh, out here. He's out here visiting for a week, and at the end, I was like, oh, you know, we should get a picture and handed it to the waitress. And it took three tries, but we did. And then uh, it was really, really funny seeing people's reactions. <laughs> Have you recovered successfully from the alcohol consumed? Yeah, uh, yeah. That, but then I watched the raid last night, and I was you know, had a couple of Coronas and, and so I'm never recovered. Uh, but thank you for asking, Scott. <laughs> ah, I, I see you, uh, you have the strategy of the, if I just keep drinking, then I'm never yeah. actually drunk. Right. Right. It's very high tolerance. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed, uh, revisiting the raid. I've never heard anyone in the world ever call it the raid redemption. I but, know. Uh, you know that is the uh, the Sony uh, title. That's funny. I know. I, I, I have absolutely no idea why they did that. But when you try and Google it to get information, it's like, oh, the raid. What's that? All right. I'll add the word redemption. Oh, I know what that is, says says all of the movie websites. And then you click on it. No, it's just the raid. Right. OK. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, sometimes it's 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 uh, issues with clearing the title. And then, you know, maybe it's 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 a title that's been used in a, uh, a bunch of different ways and and um, and they thought the redemption would add. But it is funny that like the lone like worst review of the movie, which, again, I, I read that last night, too, is by Roger Ebert. And he like uses the redeemed thing against the movie. He's like, who is redeemed by all this violence <laughs> in his one star review? And it's like, dude, this is a, it's the, the redemption thing does not matter. Oh, it's my alarm still on. Uh, it is early in the morning in Los Angeles for you listeners when we're recording this. So that was my like triple, triple uh, alarm to make sure I got up in time for the podcast. That, that's all right. Um, it is funny you mentioned about it because uh, the only the only other like big name film that I still find so funny that the UK had a different title for is The Avengers. Because uh, in the UK, it was oh, right. Avengers Assemble. And I thought, that's odd. And I didn't think much more of it. And then when I finally looked into the reason, like at the time, and it's like, oh, it's to prevent confusion with the Avengers. And I'm like, you're not talking about the 1960s TV show that I guarantee you no one in England will have ever heard of or watched that's under a certain age of like the vast majority of the population. Yes, it was. And I just, even my dad, who was like, they thought they were going to confuse Iron Man, Hulk, Thor and Captain America for Steed in a top hat. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I, I I remember the uh the the bomb the 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 movie version with uh, what was it Uma Thurman and, and Sean Connery. Um, yeah, that that probably wasn't a great connotation. 
for them either because i think it was now, one of the more infamous bombs of the 90s yeah i kind of like avengers assemble though that's that's kind of a cool alt title it, it made complete sense because they yeah. they do assemble but it is funny because obviously the whole mcu kind of built up the whole when are they eventually going to say avengers assemble but if you're in the uk well it was the title of the first avengers film <laughs> you know it's, it's already been done really <laughs> right but anyway, we're not talking about the Avengers. <laughs> we're talking about the raid. Uh, so I was wondering, when did you first watch the raid? I first watched the raid in 2011 during its uh, theatrical run in Los Angeles. Which, if you guys know from from Action for Everyone, I am not the most uh, adventurous uh, movie fan in general. I'm. Uh, I, I I always say I'm. I'm the more basic. Uh, which actually I'm looking at the dates. Maybe that was 2012 when it came because I'm I'm on the Rotten Tomatoes of it right now. So, but whenever it had its theatrical run in in uh, in the U.S., um, I think it was just you know the the intensity of its uh, Toronto premiere and everyone talking about this movie. It really did drive me out to go to uh, ArcLight in Hollywood with uh, two of my friends. And uh, yeah, I think we we got properly prepared for this movie and went in. But it 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 it's it, it, and I I rewound it last night um, during the the scene when the you know everything kind of uh, builds up into the first act when uh, they come into the building and then they see the uh, basically the lookout kid who emerges from the hallway and he's down at the end of the hallway and there's this amazing standoff between Joe Taslam and this kid and the whole group. And uh, it's this great framing with Joe Taslam kind of like center frame, but the gun right at the camera. And, uh, and as soon as he puts the gun down, the kid turns and runs. And, um, and I was, I'm uh, uh, really curious about when slow-mo works and when it doesn't. And um, it's interesting when you're in the edit bay and you, you choose which shots go slow-mo after a, you know, a regular speed shot. And sometimes it does not work, you know, it, it's counterintuitive sometimes, but it's, it's always just like thrilling to me to be like, okay, this is as soon as he turns and runs, they go up and then you see him coming through the door and it's a really well-timed shot that the kids coming through the door towards camera. And in the deep background, you see the, uh, the corrupt uh, official with the, the, you know, white hair start yeah. to raise his gun and, and, uh, and we have this great slow-mo uh, choreography here with with a rack focus to the bullet that comes through the door and uh, takes the the lookout kid out after, of course, he's already said, you know, uh, police are here, here and uh, all hell is going to break loose after that. But uh, that really was like, oh, shit, this is, uh, you know, kind of the announcement of, of, a, of, of a real major movie, a major talent with uh, with Gareth Evans. And it just... Uh, uh from that point on i was uh you know 100 percent locked in on on the movie's wavelength and uh it's still uh it still continues to uh delight me now uh 10 years later yeah i i watched it in 2012 because that's when it released in the uk like i said i don't have all the release dates to hand uh i know for a fact that it didn't release in in cinemas here the uk cinema scene is really bad uh with foreign films uh they've gotten a lot better 
recently like they've suddenly started to realize that people will go to the cinema to see it but especially when the raid was about it might have released limited in like the big cities but where i lived at the time there was no way any of those cinemas were going to have uh something that wasn't the biggest mainstream english-speaking film so I, I watched it when it got a home release and considering how much buzz it got and if i remember correctly it was one of the two films that kind of killed dread funnily enough you're talking about slow motion that that film uses slow motion pretty well um it uses amazing slow motion yes and and uh, using slow motion as a drug uh, genius genius it's one it's one of my favorite films and so i remember um watching the raid i can't i cannot remember which one i watched first but i do remember being like oh yeah this is this is eerily similar in story to uh ascending up the tower but i do feel like people that just wrote them off as well they're basically the same thing but one's action and one uh, sorry one's sci-fi and one's action kind of missed a lot because they are really not that similar other than the basic premise of they're stuck in a tower and they got to go up you know yeah, we have a word for those people on uh, on action for everyone. Those people are called script watchers, and they need to uh, you know let go of things like that, and uh, especially uh, enjoy when when something is exceptional, and you can't just let uh, you know plot beats or or, or things that, you know block you. You know the the forest from the trees sort of deal, where where there's really exceptional performances choreography uh cinematography look if everything's like mid complain about the script whatever but like don't don't just sit there and, and say oh this is somewhat similar to a uh you know an independent uh indonesian action film that came out of years or whatever sooner um yeah no that it, that didn't bother me and in fact like you know i i love it as a format so i, I don't really get tired of it i, I there's a a project that I got sent in like 2018 that that very similar sort of you know going up a tower but uh it had a, a big horror element to it and uh I you know was trying to get that made pretty seriously before Skyline so um yeah not only do I not care that the raid and dread are similar I would like to make a similar <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean no I I agree I mean like you said, from the minute that uh, asshole, uh, the corrupt lieutenant, shoots that kid, which, it, yeah, yeah, I can definitely see uh, some people watching that bit and going, I don't really see much redemption going on here. Um, right. That, that, yeah. Who is that... redeemed by this? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, from the moment that bit kicks off, all hell breaks loose. And it has one of my favorite scenes in the whole film, which is where... Uh, they all obviously take cover because everybody's coming in, but no one's firing because it's pitch black because they turn all the lights off. I remembered that scene being good, but when I rewatched it, I really liked the use of lighting because mm -hmm. in a lot of films, which I know is done deliberately, it's supposed to be pitch black, but you can see everything and light just seems to be magically coming in from somewhere. But in this, they actually showed you that it was pitch black and it wasn't until someone pulled the trigger they were like oh there they are and combine that with the sound design of those guns which is just deafening when they all finally let loose and is it i don't think many other films capture that raw chaotic moment of two well-armed forces firing each other you know no the the sound design is in general is incredible on these and it 
it really comes down to like the control too like you're seeing it 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 it, it has so much uh suspense in build and it, it for a movie that is known to be a relentless uh non-stop action movie it always kind of does have these suspense beats where it will stop slow down and get very very quiet before the big bang happens and and things go off um so yeah no i i I think it's just like an incredibly impressive and and, and uh when you're talking about the cinematography, you know, like um it's it's obviously you know shot digitally and uh on kind of uh very light and easy to handle cameras. Um, but I think they picked like the exact right color palette for those cameras and it's dark, um, kind of muted, but it it totally makes sense for this sleazy world you know and the, the this very dark subject matter uh and so yeah i feel like everyone's uh you know wardrobe and their their uh their skin tones it all it all it feels like uh you know part and parcel it all it all comes together to me visually um you know i think the raid 2 uh one of the, the bigger jumps up from the raid is the cinematography and you know the it kind of like the overall look of the raid two is just really really gorgeous but i think this one is still you know quite appropriate for what the movie was and and, uh, and, and it achieves everything that it needs to well I, I think as well it's it's because this film had like what mo a lot of films would consider a very small budget you know it, it only had like what 1.1 million dollars equivalent and considering that that's all they had to work with when you compare it to what would be considered a low budget film over in uh Hollywood uh it's like the ray 2 but had a lot more to work with <laughs> yeah you know um i will say that is uh okay so some of these things with the budget when you're when you're overseas and and stuff it is a bit of a misnomer um is that like like what do you pay for in a budget right like you paying for a lot of the time it's labor and a lot of the time it is locations and stuff like that so the million dollars in 2010 2011 indonesia is i would say it was like roughly equivalent to like five okay. uh you know somewhere else so there was uh there was a lot of, of days that they were able to shoot that you wouldn't put to the equivalent of say a scott atkins um you know two million dollar like the debt collector where those movies are, are like literally shot in like 17 to 18 days so i think the raid still was shot in like 50 something days it, it still had a lot of time now, of course none of that uh discredits anything with the movie because i do think it is a is a masterpiece but and then the raid 2 i think was maybe five times that budget and they i know they shot that one for like six months and had like 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 even Yayan's uh nightclub fight scene was like a two-week shoot so like that is that is some of the like oh, when people say I just like to at least clarify that when people say how come these movies are look so good and then they don't want to give shoot days to productions and so it's like it's really a pretty close correlation to you know um giving uh especially in 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 a, a martial arts action movie like giving shoot days and time and then getting a better product as a result 
Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that that's kind of a, uh, but at the same time, this is, they're shooting this movie in a, um, you know, in, in Jakarta. I, I didn't visit Jakarta until 2014 and it was still like, you know, mythically talked about and it was only a few years earlier, but to the fact that they kind of uh, pulled this film out of the ether uh, is, is, you know, endlessly remarkable. And um, yeah, I guess I should, uh, I should give a little bit of context to that is that, uh, so I, you know, I, I, uh, if you guys don't know who I am, I, I did uh, these skyline, the original skyline in 2010 shot that at uh, literally in, in an apartment in an actual apartment, I think the raid is mainly uh, a set that they would then redress each floor. So like when you watch the movie, they've got the stairwell set and they've got the, especially the hallway set and they'll just keep redressing and reusing that every yeah. time they go up, which is brilliant. Um, and I'm sure there's there's obviously locations and stuff that, that are mixed in. Um, I'm not sure, maybe the stairwell one was the location, but. You know, I rewound that 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 throw where where he tosses the guy down the floor and he lands on his back. I rewound it like three times and it's still like uh, it's incredible two shots and, and uh, stunts. Um, but yeah, so uh, not to get completely lost. We shot the first skyline in an apartment in uh, 2009. That movie came out with uh, universal relativity. Um it, it got a big worldwide release. It was made for a very small budget. And then uh, there was talk about doing a sequel on and off. And I finally said like, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna write this one out, but uh, I would like to direct it. And uh, the, uh, the original directors, uh, Greg and Colin Strauss agreed to that. And uh, originally, I think we were going to set it in well, way way originally, it the 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 ship in Beyond Skyline, they it, it was supposed to start at the same time in Los Angeles, and then the ship would eventually crash in another location on the Earth. The first idea was New York, which wasn't very uh, creative or original, but it was like, well, the characters from the first one were from New York, so we're going to take them back home, but. Um, it just was going to look like another American city. Um, so then we went. And, and the, the first film really performed well all around the world and started thinking like, well, maybe maybe they crashed somewhere like China. And uh, and and that was interesting. And then I kind of got tipped off that, like, you know, if, if you're trying to get like a Chinese release and you're, you're dropping in China, like it, it's going to imply that China lost to the aliens, too. And that's probably not going to work out. Uh and so then it was like, oh, what? where's a place where we can drop them that like has some type of meaning and interesting thing to it? Um, and my wife was born in Laos. And so uh, I think I'd just been visiting with her parents and, and thinking about some of those things. So it ended up uh, becoming Laos in the script. And then it was like, okay, how do we find a place to shoot for Laos? Because um, actually shooting in there wasn't quite an option i think people are have have done it since but at the time um it wasn't really uh, there there wasn't much of a, a film uh industry there a crossover with the u.s um it's still a communist country and um so they basically had just met with someone from indonesia and we went over there to scout and uh really really excited to obviously be there and being a huge fan of the raid movies but i was at like dinner the first night with the producers there and they said 
well, who do you have for, you know, the role of, uh, of Sua and, uh, and some of the other roles? And I, I said, well, we haven't, haven't really thought about that yet. And uh, the producer said, well, what do you think about the, you know, the guys from the raid? And it was like, well, what do you mean? Like you, you can get the guys from the raid. And, and they said, uh, yeah, you know, they're here. They're, they're, you know, we, 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 we've worked with them before on different facets and different things. We can, uh, you know, connect you. And so we were connected to uh, Gareth's wife, Maya, who was Eco and Yayan's manager at the time. And basically, you know, we were in Singapore. We basically said like, hey, we're going to be in Jakarta this week. Can we meet you for lunch? And she's like, oh, girl, you're, if you're going to be here, sure. And then we booked the flights to Jakarta afterwards. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like do anything you can to get them in the movie. And, uh, and, and, then, and then it would just kind of change like really not just the movie it kind of changed my whole life because it was like the most uh fun possible to work with those guys and um you know they're 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 rock stars but like the humblest nicest guys and so they kind of they i, I meet them shortly afterwards and we go on a scout of where i was planning to shoot the the mud fight with frank rillo and stuff and and they just you know were up in the the middle of this uh rice patty and and they both just took their shoes off and started fighting each other and i was like wait what's happening and uh and then going full speed and then they turn and look at me and like what do you think and i'm like i i'm just like absurdly unqualified to be here and to be, to be telling you what's good uh, when it comes to a fight uh and so i generally uh with everything that those guys do i just like it's the best it's the best <laughs> moving on um <laughs> So yeah, that, that's a little bit of, of, of just the beginning of my experience uh, working with those guys. But um, it was a whole pinch me moment to go from seeing this movie in the theaters two years earlier, um, seeing The Raid 2 that year, you know, because that came out at the beginning of 2014, and then getting to work with them towards the end of that year. Um, so sorry for the rant, but that, I felt like I, I, I should put that out there up front. So that I don't sound like I'm a constant name dropper. Uh, the more we talk about this movie, no, no, it's fine. I, I I enjoyed the story. I'm sure everyone else will. I mean, you know, I I said the uh, a, a similar thing to someone else the other day. It's like if you have these stories, I think some people are worried that it will come off the wrong way. But I think action fans, especially, it's like, nah, we're just happy to listen, man. You have you have the experiences everybody else uh, doesn't get. So you know. Why keep him to yourself? It's, I think it's not going to come off the wrong way. And if no, I, and you know, if you listen to my show, I have a bit of a heel persona, so I'm not really that worried about coming off the wrong way. <laughs> 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 uh, but yes, um, uh, uh, but thank you, Scott. That's all right. As long as you don't come on here defending the gray man, we'll get along fine. The gray man's perfectly fine. You guys are talking about it like it was, uh, you know, a completely unintelligible. Uh, uh, incompetent filmmaking, but I get it. Look, we all have our brands we have to adhere to. Uh, what I, I snuck in a nice little barb to Mike in the last show where I was like, Well, if you're grading the press tour with the movie, and he was like, <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, I will stress, I haven't seen The Gray Man. Uh, I just saw everybody explode around it and was just eating my popcorn watching everyone. I, uh, yeah, I really was expecting to see something, uh, wholly incompetent but but i felt like everyone was just being hyperbolic and having fun and that's fine i don't ultimately yeah. really care but it was uh 
it, it was it was fun. It was fun to see uh, the OG Vern pop off and and get some punches in on the old timeline. Uh, love to see it. Love to see it. I think for for me, uh, I prefer to see people arguing about the Gray Man, even though, like I say, I don't think it's a film to argue about. But everybody was arguing whether or not they liked to film the choices made in the film. It's like the the conversation was about the film itself, whereas. The current thing that the internet is arguing over is Prey, and a lot of the arguments are not actually anything to do with the film, and that's kind of where I'm like, no, I, I don't wish to engage in that discourse. I've just been shutting down anyone that doesn't like the movie, because they're just, uh, they probably don't have anything intelligent to say, but what what is the, it, it, it's about that the, 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 there's a female lead that can beat a predator? That's is pretty that, much the crux yeah. of it. There, there are some other criticisms that I can be like, okay, no, that's that's got a bit of merit to it. Like that's that's fine. I can let that stuff go. But some people, you know, it's, it, it, they've written like two thousand page articles on why this is unrealistic, and you think, I think you've missed the point of, of what this film is about. <laughs> yeah, give me give me an essay on David versus Goliath, dude. Just shut the fuck up. Um, <laughs> yeah, that. Uh, yeah. There was something I was going to say about that, but yeah, I do think that, that, oh yes, we, there was kind of the coded response that like predators can't keep losing in these movies. And I was like, like, have you like, first predator watched one. Yeah. It's a bit of a, like, it's a slasher archetype within an action genre. Like, are you upset that Jason and Michael die at the end of their movies and then they keep coming back? Like, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. Some people will like latch on to things when it, it really is like to just confront this, uh, this, uh, you know, ingrained misogyny inside you and, and, and get better. That's, that's what we all want for you. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is because uh, not to go off on a bit of a rant here, but I, we're I've here. Seen it, we're here. Let's I've, go. I've seen it with people I know where they, and, and I see it with people online who maybe started off, being fairly reasonable and making intelligent arguments and actually critiquing films. And then those same people have just fallen down rabbit holes or been influenced by other people. And now their entire like criticism, there's no critique there. It's just hate. And I have said to a couple of people, like I, I used to follow you guys because I didn't agree with everything you said, but what you said was at least well-structured civilized and i could see your argument whereas now it's just like listening to a six-year-old having a temper tantrum and the sad thing is is you can't see the difference to the old stuff you used to do you know it's like after a certain point you just have to go nah i'm, I'm not engaging with any of that anymore yeah that that is sad um but it is it, it is interesting that it just kind of like I mean, uh, it, are they getting more popular the more negative and and uh, and 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 unmerited they get? I mean, that's even more depressing about it. It, it is. Um, there's a YouTuber who doesn't do uh, films. He he covers video game topics, but he kind of proved this a long time ago, especially on a platform like YouTube, which is where a lot of the negative or reactionary critics, as they get called, uh, obviously operate, and. You know, if he did a rant esque video, it would get millions of views. And then he'd put up a video saying that he really liked something and wanted to highlight something he enjoyed, and it would die at a quarter of a million views every time. 
without fail. And I've noticed that some of the channels that still kind of to this day hold on to, to just critiquing, they, they might throw in a bit of, you know, controversial stuff to irritate people to watch it or to talk about it, which, you know, that's just wrestling persona at the end of the day. Um, sure. Whenever, whenever they do, uh, I really like this film. It never gets anywhere near the interaction that them absolutely hating the film does. It's so funny because you know, as someone as someone who does a weekly podcast now for a couple months, I mean, um, I always hate it when we hate the film, and I I don't I, I don't really enjoy the process of doing it, and I don't enjoy listening to it, and it, and so. But, you know, I'm a weirdo, I guess, but it does seem like that what you're saying is 100% correct. But whenever, you know, I, I actually, we do Action for Everyone because I like to listen to Action for Everyone. It's like I kind of wanted uh, a topical thing that would keep me engaged with what action fans were talking about and thinking about and and uh, and kind of like also kind of talk about Twitter, talk about the stuff that's going on that week. And, uh, and so I, I do this show because I also want to really listen to the show. So I, I listen to it every week afterwards. And the the ones that I love are the ones like the one that we just did with, uh, with Joshua Cordes, where we all really loved pray. And we're talking about the different things that, that, that we loved about it. And, uh, the ones I don't like are the ones where, you know, where someone's going off about how much they hate a movie. And it's just kind of like, it's interesting that that, that is not the, uh, the normal case when it comes to, uh, to engagement. And I kind of get it. Look, when someone posts like, uh, something really gossipy or, um, you know, someone will pick up like Tarantino saying what he does and doesn't like about a movie. It's like, you know, it, it, it gives you this sort of a uh, serotonin hit. So I, I kind of get that, um, you know, the negativity, uh, it can be so much more powerful, but I don't know. It's just ultimately not great for your life. No. And uh, sometimes I don't feel it's genuine. Everything everywhere all at once and RRR. I noticed that both films were considered amazing by the vast majority of film people right up until the point that they actually broke through and became mainstream popular and then suddenly ah oh, you know then they're, they're not that good and it's like yeah they are you're just annoyed that everybody else actually likes them and you can't be the cool dude that gets off on this stuff without people knowing about it right right no uh I, you know i still haven't seen everything everywhere i want so that's my big uh cinema sin of the year a real <laughs> cinema sin not a not a stupid youtube one um so i do have to see that um asap but rr is uh like uh i think my my tweet was that it's a james cameron ass movie you know it it is just like such a big bold clear uh action adventure and epic on every scale and uh yeah it was weird seeing people try to say that it, 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 to me that movie is undeniable um and so well, i just kind of go on living my life when when people have wrong opinions about this <laughs> oh, there you go folks that's our rant for today Hopefully yeah anyway we... the raid <laughs> yeah uh, it's fine uh like i said th th we go off topic a lot on this show it's actually it's actually nice to go off topic because the last couple episodes we've managed to stay perfectly on topic it felt weird it's nice to get back to re to normal <laughs> anytime you need to go off topic i'm your guy okay noted <laughs> but um yeah i mean 
when you uh, first watched the film, what did you think of the fight choreography itself? Uh, did it impress you? Did it make you think that this was the next big thing? Or were you into so much of this stuff already that you were like, eh? No, I mean, that's to say, I was not, I, I'm not like, uh, um, the, the the fact that I got to work with the guys from the raid was was totally, you know, when, when you listen to that story, it was totally just like a, a twist of fate, you know, I didn't seek it out. The original draft of Beyond Skyline was much more of like a big war battle. Like to me, I was doing War of the Worlds meets Apocalypse Now. Uh, oh, yeah, so yeah. I, you know, that was, uh, we're going to have all this kind of, uh, you know, even in the storyboards, it was like, they all come out and they're just like shooting guns and mowing these aliens down. It was very much like that type of thing. And then once uh, we, we had uh, Eco and, and Yayan and, and all of the, the, the stunt guys, which when you watch like the raid, like, like literally almost every stunt player in, in that movie worked on Beyond Skyline whether they were, um, you know, part of the, uh, the militia, um, a couple were in the actual alien suits. Um, so it is, it is really nice to see all their faces again. Um, but yeah, so once cast them, it was like, got to rewrite the whole movie. And it, it became a joke of people constantly kicking guns out of people's hands because like <laughs> it was all set up for gun battle, but then it was like, get those guns out of here. We need to, we need to get, you know, some hand to hand in, um, so yeah, it was uh the back to the raid. The to me that um that fight choreography and uh back to the sound design and and, and the score, which um I, I know there's the two scores. I think I've only heard the Mike Shinoda score, which I do think is awesome. Yeah, I've um, I've only heard the Mike Shinoda score and it, it it's definitely a highlight of the film. Yeah. So to me it's like the the choreography is incredible, but it's also the way that the rhythm um, that they they find in them, and 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 they're not it, they're not non cutty You know, I think that some people get confused on this, and they you know, there's a lot of cuts in the fights. It's just that they're almost always the right cut to make, and they always uh, give you a new piece of information and allow you to follow the action and then the reaction of what you know the, the movement is you know i was uh rewound one of the better fights is uh is is the midpoint of the movie eco comes out and he's uh you know he's already gotten a slice across the face and he's fighting the guys with the machetes in the hallway yeah, yeah the, se and, the um, second big fight really for him yes and you know it's like there, there, I wound like five times. Um, you know, there, there's the, that kind of main machete guy who's banging the machete against the wall or scraping it against the wall. He does like a three kick hit to him on just this this side shot that is so good in the camera. You know, sometimes they do these little post moves with their cameras too, where um, if you if and you can do this in digitally, like in in uh in flame, or I'm I'm not sure if you can do it after effects, but we did in flame and in, in beyond skyline, where you kind of will, will blow in like 10% and you orientate the frame towards the top of the frame. And then if the kick's gonna go into a guy's gut, when it kicks, you kind of digitally slide the framing down towards the bottom of the frame. And so it gives you this sort of like extra little movement. Um, that gives you uh, impact and 
Um, they do it in in the raid too as well, but it, it's these great little little tricks, you know. Um, and I I kind of got obsessed with doing that in uh, in Beyond Skyline, like as the last finishing thing. And and luckily I was at a VFX house, so I could uh, I could sneak in and have the you know the uh, the flame operator just do these kind of like okay, just blow in like five percent here. And then yeah. slide it to the right on this punch, and um, it uh, it it definitely makes a difference. And uh, I love I love kind of frame fucking that stuff anyway. Um, but no, so that fight um, he does that awesome three point kick, and then if you'll notice, you know they they'll they'll cut into these really nice um, close ups where you'll check in with the character. He'll move out of the way. You kind of uh, eco, I think, is an excellent on-camera performer because he is constantly like directing the audience with his eyes he doesn't just like stand there and 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 do all of the moves like he's memorized it he constantly looks like he's trying to solve the problem yeah and uh, i noticed that on set as well where he just would like you know we'd, we'd rehearse it but then when in the actual take he'd kind of take time to look and and, and show you what he's thinking and he's got these great big eyes and he's really, you know, uh, you know, to me, he's, he's, he's our generation's like, you know, premier, uh, martial artist for this reason. That's what I, I love about watching him fight is that it's like, I, I'm watching him solve problems in real time, but, but then they'll, they go to a nice, a really nice overhead in that fight sequence. And he, it's become like a kind of an annoying thing for me in movies lately where, um, they do a lot of these overhead shots, but like the actual choreo has is like nothing to highlight for an overhead shot. They just think it's like, <laughs> oh, impactful. We'll go to an overhead. But the, what's great about this one is that the overhead shot really shows you, you know, the relation of the two guys on either side of him. And then they do moves that are really well sold in that overhead shot. So it is just like that, again, that level of thought and not sort of like winging it. Um, on on every piece of uh, of the choreo on this that builds to these rhythms, and you kind of start start to feel like a breathless energy, um, and then uh, you know he grabs uh, a man by the neck and jumps backwards across the hallway and impales his throat on uh, the bottom of a, a jagged door, and you just like can't fucking believe it. You know, it's all it's all kind of like they're they're built into these big applause moments and. Um, and they always land and it kind of gives what is a very brutal, uh, dark uh, subject matter, a sense of humor. You know, there is yeah. a bit of that sort of, um, you know, like Raimi sort of like like a, a little bit of mischief and, and mayhem of what these guys are doing that it doesn't to me when I see negative reviews that are like, oh, my God, it's just a relentless video game movie that uh you know, is, 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 is just, uh, you know, uh, endless violence and bloodshed. I'm like, no, oh, it's actually really funny. And, uh, it has a good sense of humor and it knows like what it, it has a good sense of fun, I guess would probably be more, uh, than, than the humor. And so that's why I think for action fans, it is such a, you know, a, a continually refreshing and fun thing to revisit because, um, they really, they really, those fight scenes are really come they 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 build these places and they always have like a, a really perfect uh to use a wrestling term finisher you know yeah like yeah. there's always a great pop at the end of what they're gonna do um 
And so, yeah, that that was the fight that I, I really zeroed in on last night on this watch. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, to use video game talk, that that entire fight is essentially uh, Eco's character going up against the first boss. The fight he has with him with the machetes, and then it ends with him throwing him out the window and going down with him. It very much is his first real challenge. Everybody else that he's fought in the film up until that point has kind of been uh, nothing more than just disposable goons. Whereas this fight, I like it for the same reasons that you do, but also it comes at a point where you've just had this big tension where they're in the room and you don't know if they're going to get caught. He's, you know, the knife's been coming through the wall, which is like, is he going to get stabbed? Which he almost sort of does. And then when he fights these guys, instead of him just taking them apart like it's a Steven Seagal movie, uh, they almost all get the better of him. Uh, but like you say, he's such a good physical performer that he manages to sell it in such a way that you can believe that he's just able to get out of it. Or if he was that fraction bit slower, he would have been caught by one of the blades. He would have been caught by someone's hands. But He's just that little bit faster than they are. And even though there's multiple times they almost get him, he's able to get out of it. And then, like you say, when you get that moment where he uh, essentially kills a guy by a broken door, which is quite inventive, which has come uh, pr not too long after the balcony break, uh, you, like you say, it's setting you up for those moments where you can hear the audience almost going, oh, and yeah, that's, that's sure. exactly what you want. And then you get this this big fight with the two machetes and then you go out the window and you just, like you said earlier, this film isn't, and it's funny too, because this is, it's kind of how I remember it, but rewatching it, it's not nonstop action from the minute that everything kicks off. It's very contained to these small moments so that you don't get bored and that the audience doesn't get completely worn out. Because any longer, and that fight would have started to feel like you're watching two Supermen. But they always right. seem to know exactly when to stop, even though they're doing impossible stuff, if we're all being honest. But it, you don't think about that because you're enjoying it so much. And then just as it gets to that stage where you're like, wow, this guy's pretty tough. Right now it's time to kill him. And then we're going right. to move on and go back to some story beats or we're going to move on to the other characters that are somewhere else in the building so that it gives Eco's character a chance to, you know, recover, essentially. Yeah, no, and I, I absolutely agree. And similar, similar vibe with the um, Yayan versus uh, Joe Taslam fight. You know, it's like it, it's it's such a brutal back and forth, and uh, and it does such a great job setting up Yayan's character, Mad Dog, who it's is kind of still like my favorite character in the movie. Um, you know, he's he's got he's got honor. He's not lying. He's not sneaking around. <laughs> something admirable <laughs> about about it, Mad Dog, and it takes takes two guys to take him down. You know, it takes the, the two 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 best guys to take him down. So uh, I always have a little bit of, of sympathy for Mad Dog. I love Mad Dog. Uh, you know, he puts the gun down and he says, you know, this this is what it's about. This is the juice. And uh, how if you're a martial arts fan, how can you not uh, kind of love that guy? Uh, and then that. Um, you know, but it, it has a great finisher, very kind of like gives him like an RKO twist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when, when he breaks his neck, it's awesome. Um, but yeah, I, just what you were saying about the nonstop action, it made me think, you know, 
typically I, I I kind of blew the beginning of this podcast and jumped right into the movie. But the main takeaway for me when I started this thing last night, again, is just it is one of the more brilliant economic openings like of a of an action movie. I mean, you just you you, you open on this watch, you see um, Eco's character, uh, Rama, he's, uh, you know, praying he's saying goodbye to his wife he's working out and it's such a it's like he and then he goes to his boss uh slash i think it's his father right yeah says, i think so home. and then it's like doom the raid redemption it's three minutes and that's all the all the setup that you need and i, I stopped and checked i was like, it's just three minutes of everything on this character and you're on his side all the way through you know they have these little bits where like he's the decent one that saves the guy with the sick wife from from his asshole boss when they're doing the raid. I mean, he's, he's constantly someone that, um, you know, the, the movie aligns you on the side of, but you, the, what I was tweeting about last night was, uh, you know, one sort of defending our friend, uh, uh, Matthew Sawyer's uh, article about ah. the influence of John Wick, uh, which is unassailable, but it was interesting that both John Wick and the raid are, are very lean runtimes. Uh, and I, I, I got my numbers wrong, but apparently they both have uh, an hour and 41 minute run times, which is insane. And they're both, to me, you know, inarguably the most influential action movies of the past uh, 11 years, 10 years, if you're in the States. And so um, all the ones that kind of emulate them take this formula and <laughs> they have a lot of bloat. And it's just not as much fun because these movies are supposed to, uh, like you're saying, it, it, it can wear you out. Yeah. Um, and, and so you're, you're, you kind of the solution to it. And this is for my own education too. I'm not always just sitting here trying to tell other people what to do, but I, I, every time I watch a movie like this, I'm trying to learn from it and I'm trying to get better, uh, for, for my craft and, and, it, and you can edit things leanly, but you can't, if it's not written leanly, it's not, then you can over edit it and then things don't work, you know? So it really does come down to the writing and to give yourself uh, a chance at uh, at trying to make something that is is as revered and 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 playable and and loved as these movies. Uh, it it really does make sense to try to you know make room for your action and uh, and have a story that works kind of on um, a real visual and, uh, and and primal level and leaves the audience wanting more. Once you kind of creep into the uh, towards the two hour mark on something like this, it does kind of uh, become an endurance test, which isn't necessarily bad. Like I love the raid too. It's two hours and, and 30 minutes. But, you know, I, I, I understand people saying like, yeah, you know, I had to pause that one, but it's still great. Um, but the raid is uh, is still kind of the perfect audience experience movie. You know, it, it, if you put it on at a midnight screening anywhere in the world right now, it would still kill. I think as well, John Wick and The Raid, um, and this only and this applies to those films specifically, not the sequels for either of them, is one of the reasons that I think they did so well is that, as you said, they're they're very lean, but also the story is simple. There isn't a big overarching plot that it's not full of twists it's not complicated in the raid the basic premise of the story is they're a SWAT team going in trying to get a drug lord it goes wrong 
And in John Wick, the killer's dog, he wants revenge, get out of his way. And I think one of the reasons why, even though I love them, I know that a lot of my friends and I know a lot of people with every John Wick, they seem to like them less. And I think that's because they keep trying to make this big assassin world work as opposed to being this cool thing in the background that doesn't really need an explanation. They're now trying to give it an explanation so that they can keep making more films, which is fine. I I enjoyed them, but it's it's lost the simplicity of the first film. And with the raid, they did they had a similar problem, which is that, you know, the film is kind of finished. The story's done. So how do we bring the character back to tell another story? And obviously we've got to up the ante because everyone's going to expect it to be bigger. So let's make the story slightly more complex. It still works and I still like it. You still like it. But I think that in general, that that's the reason why those first films of both The Raid and John Wick is more well-remembered now, perhaps, than their sequels are. Yeah, I know, I, I'm with you. I, I My favorite John Wick is actually the third, which uh, is probably the most indulgent. But um, so, uh, you know, I could contradict myself in, in many ways, but I just uh, it's the one that really lets its uh its its flag fly as a martial arts movie yeah you know and and uh and of course it has uh yayan in it and so i'm uh i'm biased there and uh and i loved his fight and i loved you know spoiler for john wick but the fact that uh that Keanu keanu did was like no no no, no i i can't kill these two uh with the set, <laughs> set of, and, and yayan was just like so note perfect it was like <laughs> they're so they're such lovable they have like a lovable fighting relationship there at the end and so i i, I that to me just made uh me very happy i actually watched that one in lithuania during uh prep for skylines with uh jean aiden from real deal who was uh our second unit and uh an action designer on skylines and he's in the movie and he gets killed by Keanu by getting dragged by the horse at the beginning of the movie. So it was always fun to watch a movie with someone who dies in the movie uh, <laughs> right next to you. Uh, and so, yeah, I love uh, I love I love uh, all, all those sequels. But I was actually kind of more even less less about the sequels and their runtimes than sort of, um, you know, the, the Hollywood uh, movies that are trying to do. Um, the next raid or trying to do the next John Wick and they all seem to come out at like you know two hours and 15 minutes and you're like this is not what anyone wants um, and so it, it's less to me about the sequels with and more about you know everyone kind of doing their pitch of like the raid in or John Wick in um, sort of what became this past decade of like the the, the diehard in a is yeah. uh, is those two movies for a lot of pitches and um and the movies turned out like you know copying the action and 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 the attitude and stuff like that but not really adhering to trying to make it a real lean and mean movie so that that was just a, my 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 you know basic ass observation but uh but one that you know it is interesting i will say um about the the the, the making of the raid and what I asked Eco, like one of our first nights together in um, in Joe Jakarta, when we did the scout of that rice patty that I told you about earlier. So we're you know we're at the hotel later, and I was just sort of like, okay, I, I want to hear like about the raid movies, please. 
And, um, you know, he basically said, you know, the raid two, um, they had choreographed it for like six months and they had done everything. And it wasn't the raid two at that point. It was just called uh Berendal. Yeah. And that yeah. was this big movie that they wanted to make. And, um, and then he says, uh, you know, the director comes back to me and says, we're, we can't make that movie. We're going to do a different one and we're going to do it, you know, in, in a contained environment. And he was like, okay, well, we can use this. And he's like, no, no, no you can't use any of the choreo from Berendal because we're going to make that after. So, you know, we have a couple months. We need to do completely new choreo for the raid. And he was like, fuck me, man. So that that's also one of those like, you know, just amazing, um, you know, putting limitations on on geniuses and seeing them kind of come up with magic. Like they they basically had to throw away everything that this this choreo that they had poured their their hearts into and were hoping to shoot. They had to put that on ice and start from scratch uh, on this movie that was being kind of put together really fast. Um, that ended up being, you know, a total martial arts classic. And then he was telling me about, um, I think it was like, you know, he was just like every single shot, like per angle, they would like 15 takes of of like a block, if this is the block. And uh, and he said it was just like, you know, I, he, he felt like he broke his forearm on take 13 and he still had to do two more. And uh, and so, you know, I was like, well, we don't have time to do any of that. on <laughs> so don't, don't worry. Uh, you know, we we're, we're trying to put, uh, you know, 20 bags of movie in, a, in an eight pound bag. So uh, we're, we're going to not uh, have to never we'll never you will never hear the take 15 uttered on uh, on this one. Um, but uh, but yeah, that, that was kind of the. Um, that to me was just sort of like jaw dropping that that they had uh and and then they stuck to it and they actually got you know Berendal made and um and got to use all that choreo that they had uh they had worked on before and then if you see the choreo on the raid two and you think wow they came up with this you know before which of course they they augmented and and used their experiences to make it even better but you know the last like 30 minutes of the raid two is, is maybe the best martial arts choreo of the decade for me. I just love it. So, um, you know, the progression of the fights up, up the ladder of, of those thugs and, uh, and then that kitchen fight. Um, and it's just, uh, it's something special. And I, I, I really, uh, I really do feel like just lucky to have been even tangentially involved with any of the people from those movies. Yeah. I find it interesting as well that of all the actors that are in the first raid, it's not Yayan and Iko that I think most people would now be familiar with. It's Joe Taslim kind of picked up the trophy and just ran with it. And now I'd say he's quite recognizable to most Western people. And it just really surprises me because I remember when I first rewatched the raid, I'd completely forgotten Joe was in it because I'd become so used to seeing him in other films as the lead or on the warrior and then when I re I rewatched it previously to this one, I was like, "Oh yeah, he's he's sergeant." <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it as again, like we we didn't talk it from the beginning, but it's actually not that surprising to me when I go back because he is so good, um, and they do give him, you know, more dialogue than anyone else in the movie for his half of the movie. Yeah, and he delivers it uh, all quite well, and uh, you know, 
he's he's really really effective um especially in the scenes with uh i think it's wahoo wahoo the uh the corrupt official you know he he's just got such an an alpha presence in the in the back of that uh van and even when you know eco and uh his uh his lieutenant are going after each other he he kind of uh for a guy who I believe at that time who uh, I, I I'm lucky to, to meet Joe a few times and, um, and he's a really, really uh, effervescent fun. Uh, he's a big personality in person. You can kind of understand that this is the guy that could like walk onto a movie with uh, not a ton of experience and just be like, yeah, I'm a movie star because he's incredibly good looking and uh <laughs> And he's been kind of successful at everything he's done in his life. So uh, there's not a lot of self-doubt in, uh, in Mr. Taslam. Um, so, yeah, when I when I actually, uh, even last night when I was watching it again, it's funny that you said that, but I was like, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Like, you know, he, he looks uh, fantastic and he really is um, in command uh, on that first half. Whereas Eko's character is like, you know, uh, he 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 kind of gets revealed over the course of the movie you know what yeah. i mean um but yeah no it, it is it is a really cool story that the the three of these guys kind of had such a young time in their lives and now they've gone on to all make all these uh you know martial arts classics and and star in all these um in different production not just hollywood i mean uh yayan's become quite a big star in japan uh and he has a big following there and he he did a, a film with uh mckay um and uh and and then you have joe who did uh the swordsman in korea you know it's like it, it's it's really really neat that they've kind of uh become you know the, these big uh you know icons of uh, of martial arts but i'm still annoyed that they have not been in more bigger movies and i i, I continually try to you know ride for those guys on on action for everyone and and uh kind of point out that they should be in, uh, in be getting bigger and, and better stuff, but uh, you know there still persists uh, systematic issues uh, in the film business. Yeah, it's funny you say that because uh, day before yesterday, at the time of recording, I went and saw Bullet Train, and uh, obviously Andrew Koji is is in that, and I, I love Andrew, but I I couldn't help but think that it's great that they have Andrew and Tanada. But a part of me was going, it would be really cool if like, because there's so many people in that, is if they were to do like another one or someone had a similar idea, is they should get people like Yayan and Iko and Joe to represent some of the lesser known Asian sort of territories that make these amazing films. Because as much as I do love everyone that was in that film, and I, I genuinely enjoyed it, it really did feel like these are the places and faces that everyone's already familiar with. You weren't really getting anything new which I, you know it, it is what it is and i'm not putting the film down but it, especially with what you've just said as well i feel like that film where everyone has a small but meaningful part would be a great way to introduce people who maybe don't watch films like the raid or haven't seen the swordsman you know that sort of thing yeah no um uh i haven't seen that one yet um and but it is it is a little bit of what i was talking about with the with the runtime you know because it, it just even having not seen the movie it, it's runtime seems too long to me but um but i i'm sure i will still enjoy the hell out of it i love brad pitt and uh 
and I, I love a lot of the cast members on that. And one of my friends is in it, but I think it's a small role. And he's a he's an Indonesian martial art artist, uh, Yoshi Sudarso. Um, yes, but, he is in know. it. Uh, I spotted him straight away. The uh, blue Dino Charge Ranger. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I've been trying to to figure out something to do with Yoshi for for years now. Um, really great guy, and I feel like he's, uh, you know, <laughs> not to speak out of school, uh, Yoshi, if you're listening, but he's just so good looking that like you you kind of have to age a little bit when you're that good looking, and then I think it works. I mean, look at Frank Grillo, like he you know was kind of like a soap opera actor and uh, and a TV star, and once he got into his uh you know mid to late 40s it was like okay we we can now that we've weathered this gorgeous bone structure now we can accept <laughs> that's one of our heroes and i think sometimes when you're uh the curse of the incredibly good looking man is that it takes a little bit of time for uh for action fans to to embrace you uh and and age always kind of helps with that i think um when you do see the film and you see how they like what what he looks like, I genuinely was sort of thinking like he would have worked in a bigger role the way that he's presented in that film. Because I I agree with you, especially like his looks make him look younger, so that that does kind of that doesn't he's help. He's so pretty. Him. He knows yeah. it too. You fucking guy. Um, I mean, I follow I followed him and his brother Peter for a very long time. Obviously, he before he kind of became an actor, he was just one of us in the in the fandom. And um, it is so funny to sort of see him transition because uh, obviously he's a, they're both in the Paper Tigers. And I do remember actually thinking then, like, the fact that you guys look so young is is not helping you because you're playing like the teenagers. But I know you're older than this. And yeah, right. the, the way they dress him in this and the mannerisms that he has to portray. It's like, ah, now you look like an adult. This is this is the version of Yoshi that I think we need. <laughs> it's true. It's true. That's why I was like, there's a, there's a, there's a short I want to do with him. And I was like, I just want to punch your face in like over <laughs> and over again, a little bit like what they did with Chris Pine in the, in the first act of Star Trek. It was like, all right, this guy's too pretty. So we're just going to like smash his face in and have it all bloody. Um, <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully we get to shoot that sooner than later. Um, but yeah, it is. I, I think about this stuff all the time because, um, you know, it, it is, you're always kind of trying to figure out how to put your actors over. I always try to talk about this on, on Action for Everyone and, and, and thinking about, especially now that I've been kind of back in, in wrestling, but there's so much that is the same thing about the two businesses. And it is like, we talk about hooking up your lead actor and then putting them over with the audience. And um, it, it can sometimes be, it's the exact same actor, but it's just, it's the right role. And it's the way that you are supporting them in both visually and in the script. You know, um, I just was watching T2 this week uh, because uh, of our last episode. Um, Joshua Cortez was, uh, who's, you know, one of my longtime friends yeah. and uh, uh, an animator was describing, you know, what movie kind of changed his life and made him want to work in visual effects. And he brought up T2 and, just hearing it was like, I really want to revisit that. So I watched it with my wife, who's it's her favorite movie of all time. And, uh, and we, we watched it with our nine-year-old daughter, my 12 year old son still like refuses to watch anything that even horror tinged. He's uh, so he, he didn't, but we watched it with the, 
uh, our nine-year-old daughter and because that's the age I watched it when uh, when it first came out you know 1991 um, and she loved it and loved Arnold and uh, and she was very concerned with uh, with Sarah Connor. She was kept being like, "This lady is crazy," um, <laughs> and which, but she was so sweet when when Dyson died and said, uh, "Yeah, I just feel so bad for his son." And I was like, "I've watched this movie like fifty times, and I never thought about his son when he died. I just thought about how intense the moment was." Yeah, and uh, I was like, "You're you you you've got a lot of empathy. You're a lot better person than me." Um, but to bring it back on track is that talk about a movie that hooks up its lead actor, like every shot of, uh, of Arnold, especially in that first act is just like the perfect hero shot that is totally, um, you know, maximizing his presence in his like iconography on screen. Um, he's always kind of like crowding the lens. Like he's at the top of it. Um, you know, whenever it's a close up, they kind of give him uh, what they call a haircut. Yeah. Um, so he's always feels like he's bigger than he is, which is what everyone thinks like Arnold is, you know, like six, four and uh, 300 pounds. But, you know, he's like a six foot guy. But uh, a lot of that is the way James Cameron shot him in those movies. It just makes him look larger than life. He's always kind of bursting uh, off the sides of the frame. And uh, it's just another one of those things to think about from both a filmmaker uh, and 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 as a fan, you know, I like to see pick up tricks about how other filmmakers are are doing that, and and, and I do like that we kind of uh, have have settled on this uh, this phrasing of of hooking up hooking up the actors, um, and so yeah, that long rant, but you know, no, no, it's it, fine. I... It's kind of the 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 process of of watching movies and then trying to trying to steal. Uh, the things that work from wherever you can yeah i mean uh, matthew and i when because uh, we've done quite a few episodes of this show together um we've quoted you on a couple of occasions about hooking your actor up because a indian cinema does it brilliantly and we just happen to have spoken a lot about indian uh, film with matt but yeah he's e an expert e at this point it's great e even outside of that there have been moments in other films uh where even if the film itself maybe doesn't do a good job of it, they they have those moments where they at least understand how to make X character or Y character appear cool. And the sad part is, is a lot of the time it's either low-budget independent stuff or we're talking about stuff from the 90s and the 80s. It is definitely something that modern-day big-budget films seem to struggle with, in my opinion. I don't know if that's a conscious choice or they just genuinely don't even realize that they're not doing it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, it's a good question. It's, it's kind of hard to, to, to go and think about it from, you know, a, a global standpoint, but you can kind of zero in. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, if we want to talk about the, the movie that was so controversial on, on action Twitter, the gray man, um, there is another actor that comes into the middle of that movie that gets really hooked up. Um, and I'm trying to look it up right now so that I sound uh, it's, it's Danush, the, uh, the Indian, uh, or I believe it's uh, yeah, he's an Indian actor who kind of comes in and he's this lone wolf and he's got such an, uh, an interesting singular presence that he does stand out. And even the people that, that don't like the movie were kind of like, Whoa, who's that guy? So, it, it, you know, sometimes it can, um, you know, it, it's just one of those things that can break through, even in, if you're not uh, enjoying other aspects of the film. It's, uh, 
but it 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 is kind of like a a, a beautiful um a beautiful collaboration between really the 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 performer um the director and and the cinematographer you know but we'll give the writer some credit probably for making the scenario happen but those moments of the hookup is really those three things working in concert and uh and and you're right indian cinema seems to do it better than everyone but i also feel like we talked about this a little bit um when we talked about war on action for everyone is that they seem less um concerned with like homoeroticism in indian cinema and they seem to sort of have no sense of irony or um or, or discomfort with that and so when they really like linger on a male form and uh and just be like yeah this guy looks awesome and you just have to kind of embrace it whereas in the west if like we linger on channing tatum's male form he's going to do something kind of silly to make us feel like ha 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 he's uh, same as uh as chris hemsworth you know like a lot of times when he's just like looking like absolute ridiculous superhero he's gonna do a joke to cut some of the tension but in cinema we'll just say like no this dude looks hot <laughs> look yep. at him look how goddamn hot he is and like and i think that's also where you get some uh ignorant people from the west kind of thinking it's not uh as, as serious a, a, a filmmaking because it's funny because they actually are more serious they are more earnest but because they're not um you know, winking at you and saying, uh, yes, I, I look perfect, but I'm a, I'm a nerd, uh, you know, or, or what, a, what a himbo. They don't yeah. do that stuff and let you off the hook. So, yeah, no, I think it's, uh, it's one of those things that to me feels like it's coming, everything moves in, in circles. And I do feel like earnest action cinema is, is uh, with RRR. I feel like that's going to be the big influence of that movie is, um, is is kind of like we've moved out of this um you know uh ironic kind of uh, uh meta self-aware movie making of the last 10 years which uh if you i love the mcu movies but you know it's very much kind of built around uh, robert downey jr's persona and his sense of humor yep um you know it, it started with iron man that that sense of humor is is all the way from the first movie they did all the way through uh, and they really adopted that and and it worked for them. And it is very funny at times, but I do feel like that the the switch uh, that we're going to see within the next five years and you can already start to see it on, on films like the Batman and and uh, and RR is going to be uh, a little bit more of an earnest approach, uh, a little bit more nerdy. And um, and and that's cool. And I'm sure things will go into a different phase after that. Um, so it's kind of just like. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but I do think you constantly, you know, the, the, the business constantly has to keep adapting to, to keep everybody interested and, and excited. And, and, uh, and, you know, the zeitgeist moves on. You can't just keep retreading the same stuff. No, exactly. Um, I, I tweeted out last night that honest trailers did RRR, which signified just how mainstream that movies has penetrated. And, considering they specialized in taking the mick out of films, they kind of didn't. Yeah, they, they said some funny stuff, but a lot of it was just praising the film and the fact that they even were like, no, actually, this is just really good. Yeah, there's some silly stuff in it, but it's it's really good overall. And 
you saying about the MCU, I think a lot of people forget that that humor was kind of uh, forced on them in a way because Captain America, the first Avenger and the very first Thor movie were serious and they didn't do very well. And when Iron Man 2 made money, it was like, okay, well, this is clearly what's working. So we'll try that in the Avengers. And then Avengers made all the money. So it was like, all right, clearly people don't want us to try and make like a super serious, you know, Shakespeare like Thor. They, you know, we're going to have to try and reinvent the wheel. And I mean, Thor the Dark World. I, I, I will say, I still think those movies are pretty funny and balanced. Like they were always trying to replicate, um, the Spielbergian like ideal, you know, like even, even Thor, there's a lot, you know, you go back to Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom. Like there's a ton of humor in those movies. Um, but there's also a lot of heart. And I think the first Avengers, you know, it's got, it's got, it's got jokes every once in a while. It's, it's balanced, but, um, yeah, they go jokier later, Yeah, but you know, Thor's like, you know, drinking a beer in a, Arizona diner and then packing the glass on the ground and you know they, everyone kind of looks at him like he's this like the the women in that movie uh regard him with like such overt like sexual like appetite that it is kind of funny as well all the way through but yeah without a doubt it definitely became more of a humor thing but I I, I always like to just give context to the MCU too because I worked in uh in the pre-MCU Hollywood and it was worse <laughs> and <laughs> as far as comic book movies go and fan driven thing. Like, I mean, just look at AVPR compared to Prey and think about like the 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 level of um, respect, I guess, for like what the audience wanted and was looking for, um, you know, for AVPR. It was like they literally told us we would be arguing, you know, for things like the Predator blood has to stay the same color you can't change that uh they wanted the pred alien to be able to naturally um cloak and we're like okay so the cloaking device is a piece of technology and you're saying <laughs> because it gestates inside of a predator that it can do what its tech is so does that mean a human alien can use a cell phone like in its head like what the <laughs> fuck are you guys talking about and they're like you guys are nerds like no one cares it just has to be this cool thing that we haven't seen before. And we're like, nah, that's going to blow people out of the, out of the water. Um, and so uh, there was literally, and, and I think that uh, they said this to other movies at the time as well. We were just, uh, they basically said just like, Oh, fuck the fans. You know, the fans literally fuck the fans. You couldn't keep them out of the theater. If you put a shotgun in their chest, they'll be there. We need everyone else to come. And uh, what I love that that Marvel did with Iron Man is that they basically said, no, 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 like the fans are going to be, you know, the the ones that shout to the high heavens how much they love that we finally delivered what people wanted and that everyone else is going to say, well, what is this about? And yeah. uh, and so, you know, not to say uh, the MCU is perfect or that it's, um, you know, obviously this is, this is outside of the issues of monopoly and, uh, and, um, and, and, and screen gouging and all the other things that have come out of it since it's been bought by Disney and, uh, and, and, and uh, you know, obviously the pandemic didn't help this, uh, this separation of classes between what is theatrical and what is, uh, you know, a streaming movie and all of that but just the fact that they that the approach that was 
you know, let's let's find out why people loved this source material to begin with and try to deliver a cinematic version of that rather than kind of this cynical approach that I felt was happening before that. Like even even on the the Fantastic Four, uh, the Tim Story Fantastic Four movies, which I think are a little like not I wouldn't say underrated, but maybe a little overhated. They're not they're, they're not like so far off from what you, you kind of want out of those movies and they're well cast. Agreed. But it still was not what, you know, um, there, there, there's still so much more depth within the source material of what could have been mined out of there. And they do feel sort of like sitcom versions of the Fantastic yeah. Four. Uh, and then the, the, the crazy shit that they were trying to say about like the X-Men that they're like, there'll be no fucking giant robots in these movies. Like that that's absurd and it's like, no one wants to see the giant robot it's like you just don't understand what uh you know what the appeal of this is so again i go back i i'm i'm forged in that generation so when i see things that are like delivering um you know on, on a scale of what uh they did I, I i'm i think i'm a little bit more um appreciative and i'm just grateful that at least above all things that that i think that approach is one out that approach of saying let's let's go back to source materials let's go back to what people really want to see from this and then kind of you know twist it and find our own angle and expectation of it but not to say okay i know everybody likes this thing but we know better than what everyone else does <laughs> uh, that, that kind of um, that kind of like cynical slash arrogant approach seems to uh, have thankfully died off and, and got beaten by the more i think yeah, uh, definitely with the uh, comic book movies i'm not I'm not with video game adaptations that's that's the next one <laughs> right no that's and, and that's still the that's still the problem you know that that um yeah with the video game ad adaptations it's still you know there's a weird thing too that happens in in uh in the business and it's like there's a thing called like most often pitched and sometimes an idea that gets pitched a lot and doesn't happen uh people within the town get sick of the idea and they think it's a it's oh that's not a fresh idea and it's like well the, it never got made though yeah so, <laughs> so you're you're tired of hearing it in uh in development meetings but the audience is still out there and um and so that's sort of that's sort of my opinion about like an aliens sequel that feels like an aliens movie um or uh an avp movie with you know space uh marines you know it's like yeah it's 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 been pitched a lot there's been uh you know off-brand expeditions such as uh some perhaps i've made um, but I still feel like a you know a big budget version of that is still something everybody really wants to see, and they keep kind of dodging it in a weird way. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I mean, I played the AVP games, the original ones that kind of inspired the whole idea to begin with, and the fact that when they finally made the films, they chose to set them in like a modern day Earth was just so what. When I watched it, I mean, I still enjoyed them for what they were, but I agree with you. Like, if you right. actually made a big budget version with the Colonial Marines and gave them all the sci-fi tech, it's like that's that would be so different to any of the other films. Yeah. yeah. And just quickly, then, before we wrap up, because I, I know you've got to go. Um, one I, thing I did want to quickly... were we talking about the raid? <laughs> we were. We were. Um. One thing I, I love at the end, because it always makes me chuckle, is normally you get 
directed by and then you get written by and then you get edited by and i love the fact at the end with the raid you get written directed and edited by <laughs> gareth evans and i've got to say like i know that we've given a lot of cred to uh eco to yayan and you know i think it's piranha stunts that did a lot of the stunt work but i have to say that gareth evans deserves just as much love as i think as time's gone on people have kind of forgotten just how instrumental he was in this movie and several other movies being as good as they are i mean you know he he's the writer the director the editor which in my opinion the fact he's the editor and the director is one of the reasons why it looks so good because you didn't have as you said someone coming in who doesn't understand how to edit action kind of messing up the cuts but I just find it so funny because as someone that lives in the UK myself, when I think of the best, one of the best action movies ever made, I don't immediately think, yes, the man from Wales is the man for the job. Yeah, no, I, I um, if we uh, if we didn't give him uh, enough credit, but I do feel like uh, everyone's about to be reminded uh, about uh, about Gareth because he is coming out with a, uh, a new movie with Tom Hardy which is the biggest budget that he's ever had. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's something like $80 million for Havoc. And, um, you know, I, I, I Gareth was very, I, I've never met him, but we've traded emails during this, uh, when we reached out uh, to get um, Eco and Yayan um, onto Beyond Skyline. And, uh, and he, was, he was very sweet and very encouraging and, uh, and a super nice guy and everybody um, within the Indonesian um, community and the crew members, everyone said nothing but, but praise for him. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I follow him on, on, on Instagram and, and I always like to see what he's up to uh, and behind the scenes and, and seeing uh, having coming together, you know, he's had a lot of um, sort of, uh, I guess we all have, uh, but he's had a lot of movies that they did choreo on, like even after um, beyond skyline, we had to fit within the window and, and eco had to go right away because uh they were starting to do choreo for a movie called blister i think um and they did it for like months and so they've had a couple of these things that they put a lot of work into you know not uh come together so it's uh it's exciting to see like he's about to i think kind of break through on a on a on a really massive level and um and yeah uh, he's he's also you know I, for me, uh, kind of into the deep end of, of, like I said, not expecting to be shooting a martial arts movie. And then uh, suddenly I'm shooting it with these two legends and I have like a month of prep just studying what he did um, in, in this movie uh, in particular in the way he sells the hits in the slides and the edits. Um, you know, I think he's, uh, he's one of the best action uh, filmmakers uh, on the planet. And uh, the action in the raid too, uh, you know, really proved that and took it up a notch. Um, Safe Haven uh, on VHS two with uh, with good friend uh, Timo is uh, is another kind of all timer. So yeah, I'm always uh, I'm always looking forward to uh, to the next Gareth project. Well, we we're gonna let Liam go because uh, he has things to do. He's busy, unlike most of the people that come on the show. <laughs> <laughs> wow, shade to the rest of your guests. I love no, it. No, no, it's fine. But uh, thank you very much, Liam, for joining us. Uh, I hope you enjoyed yourself. I did enjoy myself, and uh, yeah, long live the raid. Right, I'm gonna hand you over to myself now to give the outro. So I shall see you guys later. 
Alright, there you go. And I'm sorry once again for how much we ended up going off topic. Like I said, um, I'm not used to recording on a, on a timer. And uh, Liam is very much one to just go off with his thoughts, which he does say in the actual conversation. And I'm not exactly, um, shall we say, not known for doing the same thing. So the two of us together, like over beers, would probably be fine. But to the two of us trying to keep on topic on a podcast, it's like, oh yeah, we were talking about the raid at one point. I remember that. <laughs> so uh, I hope you guys still found it interesting. Originally, I was kind of down because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think that we spoke enough about the raid. But I also think that it kind of speaks volumes to the fact that we both know. Deep down, everybody loves the raid. The raid is a masterpiece. There are endless articles about the raid, and there are other shows that have taken it apart and told you why it's good. But the truth is, it's good because of everything. There isn't one aspect of the raid that elevates it above its peers. It's everything and everybody coming together at a very specific moment in time to create something that resonated with everybody who watched it. The previous film that was made by the same team, the same director, and the same star, Marantau, didn't achieve that same level of cultural recognition. And I'd argue that some of the stuff they've done after the raid didn't either. There's just something specific about the raid of all these elements coming together that works. And I don't actually think that even the raid 2 managed to achieve the same effect. The raid 2 is an amazing film, by the way. And we will get to it. But there is something very special about The Raid that every time I rewatch it, I am consistently blown away at how much my memory does not do the actual film justice. And there are not many films that I can say that about. Yeah, and that's my excuse for why we went so off topic and I'm sticking to it. Either way, what's going to happen next, I hear you ask? Well, as I said in the intro, at some point, and I don't know when, there will be a JDF tribute episode in memoriam, whatever whatever you want to call it. It's going to be me, and I'm, I'm pretty sure now at the time of recording that there will be a special guest. He's been on the show before. We had an absolute blast uh, talking about things. I don't want to say it's confirmed yet because it really is dependent on his free time because like me, he does a thousand different things and trying to sync it up is the reason he's only been on once. But this is different. You know, this is something that Anyway, I'll save it for then. But I don't know if that's what you'll hear next. But if it's not, the next thing you will hear is the third member of Action for Everybody, the legend that is Vice that I made a point of at the beginning of my conversation with Liam saying that I could not pin him down. Well, I pinned him down. <laughs> um, originally, I was going to put Vice's episode out first. But in both conversations, I kind of talked about the fact that he was the last one to get. So it really didn't make a whole lot of sense to put his out first and then do Liam's afterwards. So I've done Liam's first. The next you will hear is Vice and we talk about the Samo Hung classic Eastern Condors. And boy, let me tell you, it was one of my favorite conversations I've ever had. Vice loved that film in a way that I was genuinely worried he wouldn't. Because Eastern Condors, I always think of as this film that... Uh, one of those films that you can show people that maybe don't like or don't know 1980s Hong Kong action films and it will just work for them. But there is another show out there and uh, they didn't like Eastern Condors 
uh, or, or at least they didn't love it. So let's put it that way. And it was interesting hearing their points because I knew what they would be once as soon as they said that they weren't in love with it. And it's like, I get it. But at the same time, as someone who does really love it and is into these action films, that was always my, one of my ones that I would say, this is a film you could show anyone and I think they'll probably like it. I mean, when I say anyone, they have to have some love of action films. So they're trying to sell it to someone who's only interested in rom-coms. But my point being, that one is free of a lot of the trappings of Hong Kong and they didn't like it. So I was really, really curious to hear Vice's conversation and what his thoughts on it were and he came at it from a very different angle and i think a lot of people would which is why i'm really excited for you guys to hear that episode so until then guys take care of yourselves be excited for the next one whichever one you hear first they're probably both going to be the next two episodes i just don't know which way around it will be but either way thank you as well actually before i go to the people that did reach out um I'm not again I'm going to talk more about it in in the special but you know who you are and I appreciate that and uh I'm looking forward to finally getting these backlogs out and then we'll have everybody back on and start doing some new stuff again in the new year. Take care of yourselves guys and I will see you in the next one. On the action at its podcast.